So how many of you have ever done a white elephant gift exchange? Okay, I think a lot of people have done those. So for me, I did my first one in fourth grade, and it was incredible. It was the best time. Uh, if you don't know what a white elephant gift exchange is, like you bring a gift, you wrap it or, or put it in a sack or whatever, and you put them all in the middle, and people sit in a circle, and they draw numbers, and whoever gets number one gets to pick the first gift, and then number two can either steal or, or steal that gift or take from the middle. If number two steals from number one, then number one gets to draw another one from the middle, and so on and so forth, okay? So this is my first time in fourth grade when I played this game, and uh, we all were instructed to bring used books, okay? And there was a clear best book and a clear worst book, okay? Uh, the best book was this really shiny scientific textbook. I'm not even sure what it was about, but it just was purple and shiny, so everyone loved it, and everyone fought for it until the very end. And the worst book was this coloring book. And it's not just any coloring book. It was a coloring book that had been colored in, in every single page. Uh, and my best friend happened to draw or pick that present. And I've always had a huge problem with laughing. If I want to laugh, or if I have an urge to laugh, I can't stop, okay? And I have a video to show this, but I share that video to introduce our gift exchange series and to illustrate a point. I think many of us can relate with my friend on that dreadful day, okay? Sometimes we bring our best gift. I'm sure my friend brought a great gift. He wasn't the type to bring a crappy gift, okay? He probably brought a great gift, and he brought this great gift. He was excited about the gift he might give or get, and he happened to get a crummy gift in return for his great gift. And I think sometimes this happens in life. So let's uh, look at some examples. For instance, maybe you give the gift of friendship to someone. Like you're a really good friend. You're the type of person who, you know, will stay up late with them. You will do anything for them. You uh, will pay for their dinner if they don't have money. But then in return, they're not a very good friend to you. It seems like whenever they want to go do something uh, with friends, they don't invite you. Or maybe they uh, leave you out. Or maybe they just don't show you the same appreciation that you show them. Or perhaps maybe you show this kindness to a stranger, and then the stranger is rude to you in return. Or perhaps even more, I would say, relevant for us probably, is maybe you put uh, just your all into a class. You put your, or put effort into it. You stay up late working hard on papers and, and studying, and you continue to get D after D after D, and maybe a C in there, but then a D again. I think this happens a lot of times in life where we will put our all into something and get something not as great in return. And I think sometimes because this happens, it causes us to view God in a skewed way. We think, if I give God my everything, is he going to give me everything in return? If I go all in on my faith, then is he going to give me his whole self in return? And I think that's why what we see in the Christian church in America today is, for the most part, generally speaking, I would say most Christians are either not actually Christians, they think they are, but they're not, or they're very lukewarm at best because they don't actually put everything into it. They don't uh, want to put everything into it because they're worried, if I put everything into this faith, am I going to lose something? If I put everything into this, is God going to say to me at the end of the day that I don't measure up? I think that's our fear. I think, I think uh, just for a very specific example, I preach a lot about going all in with God. And I come hard at you guys at times. And I'm going to come hard a little bit tonight. And I think sometimes you feel compelled. You feel stirred. You're like, okay, yes, I want to give my everything to God. But then as you sit and you think about it late at night, you're worried. What if I truly put my all into this thing? What if I truly give everything to God? What's going to happen? Am I going to lose something? 
Am I going to lose my significant other? Am I going to lose my friends? Am I going to lose my finances? We'll talk about that later. Uh, but there's so many questions we have. So then we hold back from God. We don't give him everything. And I think the reason why we do this ultimately when it comes down to it is we question if God is good or not. I think we question, is God good to come through on his promises, his promises that says he loves us no matter what, his promises that says there's nothing that could separate us from his love. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the Christmas story tells us that God is trustworthy and we can truly bring our everything to him and know that he's going to give us everything in return. God is trustworthy. We can bring our gifts to Jesus because he is a faithful God who came all the way to earth to save us from our sins. If we serve a God who would give up his throne, his eternal throne that he sat on for all of eternity, he gave that up to come to earth as a human being. If that's our God, then I think we can trust that he's going to come through for us when we give everything to him. This is a God we can give our all to. The story of Christmas and of Jesus' birth is really a gift exchange, so to speak. At Christmas, God gave the gift of his only begotten son so that we could be forgiven for our sins. And in response, God asked for something in return. He asked us to surrender our lives to him and to love him with our whole hearts, to make him our top priority, to say, you are my king, and everything else falls underneath you. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be in this series called Gift Exchange. And we're going to look at the gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ and the Christmas story and to look at what God calls us to give in return as a response to his love, not as something to earn his love. We don't give things to God to earn his love, but instead it's out of a response to his radical love, okay? And the first sermon is going to be about the wise men. It's called the gifts of the wise men. We're going to talk about that tonight. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. That's where we're going to hang out. It's my first time preaching on the Christmas story at Chi Alpha. I'm excited about it. I'm praying that you wouldn't go to sleep and say, oh, I've heard this before, because I think there's something in this message that's going to be unique to you, something that you haven't heard before in this story. So I pray that you'll be listening for what God wants to say. So Matthew chapter 2 tells us the story of the wise men who came to see Jesus sometime after he was born. And the phrase wise men is more accurately translated magi. And this was a name that was given to men of great learning who were teachers and instructors of the Persian king. And they were teachers, they were priests, doctors, astrologers, which was a big thing back then, seers, interpreters of dreams, and so forth. And they were men of holiness and men of wisdom who were skilled in philosophy and medicine and natural science. And these specific wise men in this story were students of the stars. And one historian says that they were experts in astrology interpretation of dreams, and the secret arts. Sounds like Harry Potter a little bit. But these people were experts in something that was very important in those days, astrology, the study of the stars. Because in these days, everyone believed that they could tell the future from the stars. They believed that a person's, a person's destiny could even be settled by the star under which he or she was born. If there was a sudden appearance of a great, brilliant star... To them, it seemed as if God was trying to break through into the created order and tell us something. So these wise men were said to be from the east, which refers to Persia, or what some interpreters say is modern-day Iran. And we don't know for sure how far they traveled to see Jesus, 
but some people say it could be up to 800 to 900 miles. So we're talking almost 1,000 miles that they traveled on a camel to come and see Jesus. So their study of the stars, as I talked about, and perhaps their study of Old Testament scripture had led them to believe that the coming birth of Jesus was going to be the birth of a great Jewish king who perhaps would be the savior of the world. So naturally, they went to Judah, or Judah or Israel. There's different phrases for the kingdom at the time, but point is Jesus' people's capital city, which was Jerusalem. So they come to find him, all right? So this is what we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read it now. I gave you a ton of background info, so hopefully you can understand it. Let's read it, verse 1 through 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem I was troubled with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, which just means Messiah or coming king, uh, was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced greatly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, that's the text tonight. And the main idea is this. The gift of Jesus Christ should cause us to use our resources for his glory. The gift of Jesus Christ should cause us to use our resources for his glory. All right, as you're writing that down, I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for our seniors. God, I thank you for Alexis and Bailey and Chelsea and the gift that they've been to Chi Alpha. And God, I just pray uh, tonight as you just lead me in this preaching, I just pray that you would speak to each heart. God, I pray that there would be something that jumps out from this message for each person and that you would draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the thing I want to do tonight is or let's look at three gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. Okay, there's three gifts. And it's not the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that I'm going to talk about. Those are all one gift that I'll talk about at the end. But so Matthew 2, 1 through 2 tells us the first gift, okay? So it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the first gift is this. And and it's what we're supposed to give as well. Okay, the first gift is like the wise men, we should give extravagant time to Jesus. The first thing we see is that these wise men gave Jesus their time. They traveled hundreds of miles to see this king 
and the trip would have taken a minimum of weeks and up to, or up to multiple months to complete. These men were willing to give extravagant time for Christ. And they were, and they were willing to give everything to be with Jesus and ultimately to make him famous. And not only that, it's not just the expedition that they embarked on, but it's also the fact that they spent all the years of their lives vigorously studying the stars and the scriptures so that at the proper time they could identify Jesus as the coming Messiah, as the coming Jewish king. Even as Herod, who was the earthly king of the Jews, missed Jesus, had no idea that Jesus was born, and had to send them to try to find him, even as he had been busy with other things, with other affairs, where he did not notice Jesus' birth, these wise men were studying. They were trying to pinpoint where the Christ was going to be born. And the Jews were largely oblivious to Jesus' birth as well. It took three Persian Gentile wise men who were studying the magic arts, which is something that God doesn't actually approve of. It took these three men to come and identify who Jesus was. And the way they were able to do that is because they gave extravagant time for Christ. They gave extravagant time and service to finding Jesus, being with Jesus, and making Jesus famous. So like the wise men, we are called to give extravagant time for Christ. Jesus does not get a piece of the pie in our lives. He gets the whole thing. Jesus wants everything. He will not stop until he has everything. Jesus wants your whole life. He wants for you to give him your life. If it's a pie chart, so to speak, you give it to him and you say, all right, direct my steps. Tell me what you want me to do. All the leaders we remember in church history were leaders who were willing to give much time for Jesus. And one leader we talk of much is Martin Luther, uh, the father of the Protestant Reformation. He famously said this. He said, I have so much to do that I shall send or spend the first three hours in prayer. This guy was leading a movement, and he spent the first three hours in prayer. This is like a top CEO, if you look at today's world, right? And he was spending his first three hours a day in prayer. If we want to be used by God, if we want to go down in history as ones who are after God's heart, we must be willing to spend extravagant time both, or both with Jesus in prayer and Bible study and those things, and also time making Jesus' name known on the earth. The fact that Jesus loves you and loves me so much that he came out of heaven, he came out of the most intimate relationship of all time between the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, came to earth, the fact that he did that and came and died for each one of us should cause us to say, Jesus, I'm going to give you my time. I'm not going to try to fit you in, but I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to let you dictate the way that I spend it. So maybe you're asking, how do I do this as a college student in 2018 who has classes and a social life and all these different commitments? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I have three ideas. I prepared for that. The first thing is this. Give Christ the first part of your day in Bible reading and prayer. In other words, have a daily quiet time, as the church loves to say. Have a daily quiet time with Jesus. And it doesn't have to be quiet all the time. You can get kind of ferocious in prayer if you want. It's all right. You're not going to offend anybody if you're by yourself. So I'm just saying, start the first part of your day in Bible reading and prayer. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe for some of you, God's calling you to give two hours a day. Maybe that sounds crazy, but I think you can do it if it's a priority for you. Or maybe some of you, you're going to start with 10 minutes. I don't really care about this specific time, the time frame, but I care that you are giving Jesus 
uh, the very first part of your day and saying, Jesus, please direct my steps today. Please speak to my heart. Please get me on the right track. The second thing is give Jesus part of your week. Give Jesus part of your week, what you're doing right now. You're at Chi Alpha. Thank you for coming. Give Jesus part of your week to spend with other believers and in community and worship. It's not like we have church and have Chi Alpha you know, just for fun or just because we're trying to check off some to-do list each week. It's because we believe when the church gathers, when God's people gather and the word is proclaimed and their songs sung to the Lord and the believers gather together that something special happens, that the Holy Spirit is present in a special way and that God can speak to us in ways in a community that he can't speak to us individually. I encourage you, this should be a priority if Kyle is your home. If, if you go somewhere else, that's fine. You know, make that a priority. But point is, you should have a body of believers that is priority every week. I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I was a part of Kyle as a student for four years. And I had tons of tests. I took 22 credits my senior year, both semesters, and was married and had a job. I never missed a Kyle service, besides when I was throwing up one night. And I felt terrible about it. But I always went to Chi Alpha because I knew that God needed me there, one, to speak to me and to work on my heart, but also that God wanted me to speak and encourage other people. I believe that God does more in the seats than he does from the platform. I believe that some special things can happen out here in the seats as you encourage one another, as you give each other a hug or say, hey, how are you doing this week? Something special can happen. There's no reason why you can't be here every week. There's no reason why you can't be at church every week. I promise you two hours a week, one hour for Kyle, one hour for church, is not going to destroy your homework schedule. As I love to say, the homework will get done. The homework will get done. Here's something else. I'm not trying to toot my horn. I'm just sharing my experience. I had a 4.0 in college. I never got anything less than an A. Didn't get an A minus. I just got all A's. I worked my butt off. I was married. I had a job. And I went to Kyle for every week. And I went to church every week. And I lived in Minneapolis. And my parents lived all the way in Cedar Rapids, so I had to drive four hours on the weekends to see them. And I still got everything done. So again, not to toot my horn, but I'm just saying you can do it. I believe in you. I believe that until Christians on the campus make it a priority to be with other Christians and and to worship God and to encourage each other, until we do that, we're not going to be able to reach anyone else. We have to build each other up. We have to come together. It's like, it's kind of like we're coming together for, uh, or to get prepared for battle every week. We come together in this place, we get jazzed up, we get encouraged, we get strengthened, we get challenged, then we go out from here and we say, all right, there's tons of students who need the love of God, and we're going as an army. We're not going as one person, we're going as an army, and we're going to share God's love with this campus. I'm challenging you guys with that, because I know, I think most people here call Kyle for home. There might be a few new people tonight, but if you call Kyle for home, this should be a priority. I want to see you every week, and I'm not going to apologize for that. And obviously, things come up once in a while. Sometimes we have a class that we have to take during Kyle. I'm not super strict about it. I'm just saying that if you call this place home, you need to be here. Okay? So make this a priority. And make small groups a priority. I encourage you with that. All right. Third thing is allow Jesus to highlight people to you who need his love. Okay? So I think sometimes we can give God that quiet time in the morning. We can give him our once a week Chi Alpha in church and, and perhaps small group. But then as we're going throughout our day, sometimes we're so stinking busy that we can't hear God's voice telling us to show his love with somebody. And the only way we can hear God's voice telling us to show his love to somebody is if we slow down enough to listen and say, God, who might you want to highlight to me today to encourage? Now, maybe for you, that would be sharing the love of Jesus, actually sharing the story of Jesus with somebody. Yeah, God might ask you to do that, and it'll be okay. He'll give you the words to speak. It says in Matthew that God will give you the words to speak in your time of need. 
Okay, that might happen. Or maybe you're just called to help someone carry their books to class. I don't know if people do that anymore. I know everyone's got their earbuds in. They're trying to run to class. don't want to talk to anybody. But maybe you're just going to help somebody who's struggling on campus. Maybe you're going to sit by someone who sits by themselves every day. I don't know, but God is calling us to slow down enough to see those who need his love, to see those who need encouragement. Okay, so I want to encourage you with that too. So those are the three things. I think if we do these things, if we give Jesus the first part of our day in Bible reading and prayer, if we give Jesus part of our week, uh, time spent in worship and community, and then give Jesus our time and our moments to see people, I think that God's going to do some incredible, incredible things in your life. I believe it. I believe that God's going to use you to be a world changer on this campus, to be a campus shifter and changer, to bring people to Kyle, to be a Sierra who brought Chelsea, to be a Leah who brought Bailey, or to be a, who brought Alexis? Tori Gordon, who we're going to hear from next week. To be one of those giants on the campus who say, I'm going to slow down enough to invite people to be, part of what God, to be a part of what God is doing. All right, and I actually, like, here's the thing, guys, it's not just about Chi Alpha. Like, if you went somewhere else, I'd encourage you to, to do the same thing. I'm not just trying to build Chi Alpha. I just want to see the kingdom built on our campus, and I want to see Christians take responsibility for our faith and stop saying we're, you know, too busy to be a Christian, which is essentially what we're saying. All right, sorry, mic drop. All right, there's a second thing that happens in this passage, and in verses 9 through 10, the Magi did not only give Jesus their time, but they also used their talents for God's glory, okay? So verse 9 and 10, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it, or when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, then they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Second thing, like the wise men, we should use our talents for Christ, so as I said, these men had devoted their lives to learning, to studying science and philosophy and the scriptures. And at the right time, God brought all their gifts and talents together to do something that would actually go down in world history. Today, 2,000 years, or 2000 years later, we're reading about these wise men. We're reading about these magi. We're studying up on who magi are because of these three men. And that's because they said, I'm going to take all my talents I'm going to put them all up in a ball, so to speak, and give them to God and say, God, use my talents how you want to. I'm not going to use them for my own glory. I'm not just going to do my own thing, but I want to do something that will shake this world for your name. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20, uh, Jesus gives us the great commission. It's the mission of Christians. It's, It's what we're called to do. Before he left earth, he said, this is what you're supposed to devote your life to doing. If this is what it says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Our entire lives have to be orientated around the purpose of making disciples of every nation and teaching others how to follow Jesus. I pray that your top priority on this campus would say, I'm going to teach other people how to follow Christ as I follow Christ. Paul, a famous apostle in the New Testament, said, follow me as I follow Christ. I believe that every Christian needs someone who's just a little bit behind them in the faith journey, so to speak, who they're bringing along and who they're showing the way of Jesus to. So I want to encourage you to take your talents and to use them for this. Say, how can I use my talents to make disciples of all nations? How can I use my talents for God's glory and for the world's good? Ask yourself that question. Don't just say, how can I use my talents to make a ton of money? How can I use my talents to pay off my student loans? 
how can I use my talents to get the ladies? Don't ask those questions, but instead ask, how can I use my talents to make Jesus famous across the earth? I have a Kyle, a pastor friend, he's at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. And this guy's an, an incredible Kyle, a pastor, but he also loves to run. He's really weird like that. He loves running. I know some of you do. You're not weird, but I just like, need some prayer that I can or start to love it, okay? But he loves to run, and he hates human sex trafficking, okay? I think we all hate human sex trafficking, I hope. If you don't, you need Jesus. You come up to the altar after service. But so he hates human sex trafficking. He loves to run. So on his 30th birthday, he got this crazy idea. He said, on my 30th birthday, I'm going to try to get 30 friends to run 30 miles with me so I can raise $30,000. It was just a, was, uh, just a dream from God at the time. And this vision has blossomed and grown. And it's become an organization now called 30 for Freedom. They do it every single year. And over the last two years, they've raised $300,000 to fight human sex trafficking. And all he does is run. Like, you know, follow him on Instagram. His name's Brent Silkey. Great guy. He's very fit. The dude runs all the time, and he just raises money through running. I don't know how it works, but that's what he does. So I want to ask you a question. How might God be asking you to use uh, your talents and your gifts and the things you enjoy for his glory? How might God want you to leverage the things you're good at, the things you enjoy, to make his name famous? I believe that God has called you to use your gifts at this university to make disciples. I believe that you are called to teach others what Jesus has taught you. I believe that what God has done in you, he wants to do through you on this campus. He may be asking you to lead a Kyle a small group. Some of you want to be teachers. I think you can teach the word. If you can teach, you know, this math, it seems really hard to teach. I'm not a math guy, but I know there's like new math or something. I don't have an opinion about it, so don't debate me, but it just seems hard. Um, if you can teach that, then I think you can you know, study the scriptures and seek the Holy Spirit and learn how to teach the word, okay? So I want to see some teachers say, hey, I want to teach the word of God, not just these other subjects. Or maybe God's going to call you after college to start a business. Maybe you're an entrepreneur type. Maybe you want to you know, go into business. You're in the UNI School of Business, which is very prestigious. And maybe God wants you to use those gifts to, uh, like my friend Brent, to fight human sex trafficking or or to alleviate poverty. Or maybe you're called to be an artist, and God wants you to, or to use your creative gifts to give God glory, to draw pictures that draw people closer to Jesus. God has wired each of us with unique skills and talents, and he's calling us to use them to help others to follow him. I want to say this again. What God has done in you, he wants to do through you. Don't let God do something in you and then not have him do anything through you, Okay? All right, there's a third thing here. There's one more gift that the wise men gave to Jesus, and I think it's the most relevant for our purposes and what you know, God's uh, really been stirring my heart on. It's in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, then they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the third thing is, it's like the wise men, we should give our treasure to Jesus. So the Magi finally find Jesus. And the first thing they do is they fall down before him and they worship him, showing us that the best gift we can, or can give Jesus is our worship, right? Our praise, our, our declaration that he is God and that he is good and he is worthy of praise. But after falling before him, they take it one step further and they give one final gift. They give him the gift 
of their treasure. They open their bags and they pull out gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. So their worship of Jesus wasn't only with bended knees, but also with open hands before him, saying, take my resources. I think the wise men show us that exuberant praise of Jesus with our lips, without sacrificial giving of our treasure, is a contradiction. Some of us want to sing all day long about how good Jesus is. I love you. You're worthy. You're God, you're glorious, and then we take our money and we squeeze it so tight. All the while, there's children dying all around the world that are impoverished and don't have food. There's women being caught up in human sex trafficking. There are missionaries dying around the world for the gospel, and they're underfunded and undersupported because people in America aren't supporting them. There are churches who can barely keep the lights on because their people don't tithe. But then we come and we sing songs. We praise him, but... Our worship stops at our lips, and it doesn't extend to our sacrifice. I believe that God wants us to give him our treasure. And these gifts that they gave Jesus were highly symbolic. Gold was a gift that's fit for a king, and Jesus was the coming king who would deliver the world from their sins. Frankincense was a gift for a priest. It was used in temple sacrifices, and and the priest's job was essentially to make a way to God for men and women, to be a bridge builder, so to speak, between between people and God. So so Jesus was the great, the coming great high priest who would bridge the gap between us and God forever through his sacrifice on the cross. And then they gave him myrrh, which was something that was used for burials, which symbolized that Jesus was going to die for the world. Even from the beginning, these wise men were preparing Jesus for death. These gifts were highly symbolic, and and this is beautiful. This is beautiful. They gave him these treasures, and it shows us that if we've encountered the love of God, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus and sons and daughters of God, it should cause us to give him our treasure. Those who encounter the ferocious love of God that says, even though you've fallen so far, even though you're more flawed than you could ever imagine, those of us who have encountered the God who loves us despite that reality that we're so flawed. Those of us who have heard God say, yes, you are flawed, but at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. Those of us who encounter that should respond by saying, God, take my treasure. Take my life. It's yours. If you encounter the generosity of God, you should be generous. No longer can we hoard our treasures and not share them with others. No longer can we hoard our treasures and not use them to push back darkness around the world. And no longer can we hoard our treasures and not not use them to build the church around the globe, to see disciples made of all nations. So Matthew 6, 19 through 21, I know you all love talking about money because you're like, hey, I'm a broke college student, but hey, I'm setting you up for your future, and you should start now. All right, so verse 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth, Uh, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's in heaven, he's rich, he's the rich one, and yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So this 
is our fuel for generosity. This is our motivation. If we serve a king who is the richest one in all the universe, he had all the treasures, he had everything he could ever need, if he gave all that up and came down to earth and impoverished himself so we could live, if that's the king we serve, then we should respond by doing the same thing. Then we should respond by saying, I'm going to pour myself out for other people. I'm going to give everything because this world is not my home. And I want to bring people to heaven with me. If a generation could leverage their resources for the kingdom of God, this whole world could be changed in a flash. Guys, we could end world hunger. It could happen if people actually gave their money in America. We could do it. It's not that hard, actually. I should have did some study on the statistics, but I've heard it before. It's incredible. If we would all give a little bit, we could push back darkness in such a way. So Heather Culver a recent graduate from UNI and, and from our Chi Alpha, she did her senior speech in the spring. She came over to our house over Thanksgiving to talk to us, and, and she told us this incredible story of how God called her to be generous and how he came through for her. Uh, so she was planning on uh, going on the Trinidad trip. Uh, this was last year. And she was like 300 bucks short for her last payment, or maybe it's the second to last payment, but she needed 300 bucks. And her friend, at the same time, was trying to raise money for a human sex trafficking cause, you know, trying to fight it, and it, and it was for her friend's birthday, and she felt compelled, even though she didn't have the $300, to give uh, the last 25 bucks she had towards her friend to help her friend with what she cared about. She had no idea how she was going to pay for her Trinidad trip, so she cried about it, she prayed about it, she was scared to death, you know, scared of what's going to happen if I give this 25 bucks, and she, and she gives the money to her friend, and about two days later, exactly two days later, uh, she wakes up and, and goes to her mailbox and, and checks the mailbox, and she, and inside the mailbox, there's an envelope that says, for Trinidad. It doesn't say who it's from. It just says, for Trinidad, and there's uh, 300 bucks in it. Exactly. Exactly what she needed. I share that to say this. I share that to say that you can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. If you are generous, God will take care of you, I promise. If you are generous, God will take care of you. You can't outgive him. You cannot outgive God. So with that, let me ask, how is God asking you to invest your treasure this Christmas season to further his mission on the earth? Can I encourage you with a few ways? I have three ideas. I always have three ideas. And the first way is this. I encourage you to start tithing to your local church. I'm asking I'm not asking you to tithe here, although I would love that because Kyle needs money too, but I encourage you to tithe to your local church because that's uh, what it seems to be saying in Scripture of where we should give our tithe. And a tithe is just 10%. And you may ask, why do we get caught up on the 10%? Well, here's why. In the Old Testament, they gave 10% always for religious purposes. They gave it to the temple and to take care of the priests. And, and when Jesus came, he didn't... Jesus did not lower the bar on holiness. Instead, he raised the bar, okay? He said, in Matthew 5, you'll have to read it, but he talks about how you've heard it said uh, that you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you're angry with someone, then that's murder. So essentially, he's saying the bar's been raised. Anger is now equal to murder if you're a Christian. That's what he's saying. So I believe that God wants us to start with 10% and then to go up from there. And maybe for you tonight, you're saying, hey, I don't give anything, and that would be very hard, 
Well, hey, I just encourage you, start with 2%, and then work your way up to 3%, 4%, 5%, and at some point, give 10%. I've done it my entire adult life and as a high school student, and I've never not been able to pay a bill. God has always come through. So I encourage you to tithe to your church. The second thing I encourage you with is to give to a missionary, whether on a monthly basis or with special gifts. So I don't know if you know this, but I'm a campus missionary. I have to ask friends and family for money all the time. So for those of you raising money for the Trinidad trip, you're like, this is so hard. i got to raise two grand, and I know it's hard. It's hard to raise that money. But guys, I have to raise $6,000 a month to fund Chi Alpha and to fund my family, just to give you a little picture of how much money we're raising here. I encourage you, when you graduate, to say, I am not going to put that on the backs of all of Daniel's friends and family, but as an alumni, I'm going to give back to Chi Alpha, not just to my account, but also we're going to have other missionaries rising up and being on our team. So I encourage you to think now, to pray now, how might I give back to Chi Alpha? And not just to Chi Alpha, but also to pray, how could I give to a foreign missionary? I would rather have you give to foreign missions than to campus missions. And that's hard for me to say, because we need Chi Alpha to be funded too. But I'd rather have you give to foreign missions to go plant the church where it's not planted yet. But I encourage you to pray now, how can I give on a monthly basis, on top of my tithe, to missions to seeing the church planted in hard places like the secular campus and like the Middle East and in Africa and Asia and even church plants here in America and some hard cities. Pray about that, all right? And the third thing is give compassion gifts to fight things like human sex trafficking, to fight poverty, and that's something we're doing right now with Feed One. I encourage you to, to pray about how God might be asking you to give to Feed One. And that's really what I want you to start with. Because it's a clear opportunity for you. If we could show, or throw up the feed one slide really quick. It's a really, really clear opportunity on a place to give. You just go to feedone.com slash UNIXA, and you can give $10 a month. If you give $10 a month, which is nothing, if you give that, then you can feed a child every single month. I encourage you, get on there right now. Get on there after service and say, I'm going to commit to 10 bucks a month to start that practice of giving. And I encourage you next week and this week too, you can do it whenever to give a larger sum as a one-time gift. Think about if every student here gave 100 bucks to feed one. I know that seems like a lot, but think about if every student did that. There's probably about 80 people here right now. 100 times 80 is $8,000, right? Am I right? Okay, thank you. I'm on stage, so I can't do math, but it's $8,000. I was doing the zeros in my head. Uh, but think about that, $8,000 to feed children. Pray about it. See what God might be asking you to do. And I'm not, the thing, I don't want you to give compulsively or because you feel like I'm pressuring you, but I want you to give out of the kindness of your heart and to be a cheerful giver and to encounter the love of Jesus in such a way where you can't help but be generous. And being generous is so much fun. It's so much fun to give and to see God uh, do so much more just a proportion of your money than you can do with all of it. All right, uh, the worship team would come. So the main idea tonight is this. The gift of Jesus Christ should cause us to use our resources for his glory. It's hard to believe that we're already in another Christmas season. I know for most of you, I remember when I was in college, like when Christmas, or for me, Christmas did not start until like December 20th when I finally got home from finals because I was not about to celebrate when I got finals coming up. So for some of you, you're not even thinking about Christmas yet. But for me, I'm thinking about it because I don't got finals coming up and I'm excited, all right? But I want to encourage you this year to not just, or to, or to one, to not allow your schoolwork to distract you from what God's doing this Christmas season. So that's one thing during these first couple of weeks. But then also, as you get home, 
And as the classes end, as finals end, all that, and you're back home with your family, I encourage you not to just do business as usual this Christmas season. To not just have, you know, the Santa Claus stuff and cookies and reindeers, all those things which I love. But not just be about those things, but instead to stop and to consider what we're celebrating. Beyond the lights, beyond the cookies, beyond the Christmas trees, what are we celebrating? And what we're celebrating is the fact that for thousands of years, human beings anxiously awaited a Savior. Human beings were trapped in their sin. And very practically speaking, the kingdom of Israel was oppressed by foreign nations. And they prayed for a coming king who would deliver them from their oppression. And they waited and waited and waited for hundreds and thousands of years. And then in the middle of history, Jesus came out of heaven. And the arrival of Jesus was a sign that God had not forgotten about humanity. And that he would deliver, that he would come through on his promises that are all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. It's incredible. It was a sign that God comes through on his promises and that God is going to set the captives free. It says in Luke, when Jesus, the first time he preached, he got up and said, I've come to set the captives free. I've come to proclaim liberty to the poor. Jesus had come to set us free. And it's not just for Israel, but it's for us. It's for all of us. Each of us were born as sinners, dead in our sin, without hope or the possibility of relationship with God. And Jesus came and lived our life. He, but he never sinned once. And then he paid our debt on the cross. And then he rose from the grave three days later so we could become his sons or become God's sons and daughters and be saved. Now all we have to do, it's really simple. Christianity is not that complicated. All we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. If we look upon Jesus, if we take our eyes off this world and fix them upon Jesus and put our trust in him, if we put our faith in him, it says that he will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into right relationship with God. Jesus bridges the gap between us and God that had been there for thousands of years. That's what Christmas is about. But here's the thing. This story, this reality should cause us to respond. It should cause us to say, I'm not just going to accept that gift without bringing my best gift. And the best gift you can give to God is your whole heart. And very specifically, to give him your time and your talent and your treasure. If you'd stand with me, we're going to close. This Christmas season, I want to encourage you to consider how God is asking you to respond. So consider that as we pray. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I got two questions for you. The first one is this. If you're here tonight, if you're honest with yourself, you're not living in right relationship with God, you feel like those Israelites felt for hundreds and thousands of years as they awaited a Savior. You, you feel dead. You feel like there's no hope. You feel like, uh, you feel like you don't have a relationship with God because you've sinned and you've struggled. And tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to, or to repent of your sins, to, to turn from your sins, and to fix your eyes on Jesus and ask him to be your Lord. So if that's you tonight, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you to slip up your hand just as a signal to God saying, God, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my King. I want you to be my Father. Okay, one, two, three. Slip them up all across this room. I see that hand. 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 All right, you put your hands down. I'm going to pray for you just a simple prayer. 
of fixing our eyes on Christ and saying, Jesus, be my king. All right, Jesus, we just pray tonight that you would save us from our sins, that you would bring our dead hearts back to life. God, I pray that a Christmas-type experience would happen in this place tonight, that you would come and make your home in our hearts, that you would save us of, or save us from our sins, save us from our own ways. So God, we just trust you tonight, and we ask you to be our King and our Lord. In Jesus' name. All right, there's a second way to respond. For those of you, if you call yourself a Christian in this room, but if you're honest, if you're really, really honest with yourself, you're either hoarding your time, your talent, or your treasure, and you're not giving them to God. It doesn't have to be all three. It could just be one or two, or maybe it is all three. But I want you to slip up your hand right now, just between you and God. Just say, or just whatever that is, like think about that specific thing, that thing you're thinking of, that, that time or that talent or that treasure, or maybe something else. But I want you to say, Jesus, I give this to you. You can say it under your breath or say it in your head, but just say, Jesus, I give this to you. You are my master and you are my king. Jesus, I pray that you would see the hearts in this room. And I pray that you would help us to give you everything. God, I pray that you would help us to complete the gift exchange, so to speak, and to give you our whole hearts. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.